Welcome to Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. Let's get started. Accent discrimination is something we don't really think about, but once you have, we are sure you can come up with a few examples of where it can be an issue. It can be as seemingly meaningless as a throwaway remark or as strong as not hiring or even interviewing someone based on their accent. When we were asked to sign up to the Protect Accent Charter, we were happy to add both top tier recruitment and possible coaching straight away. In this episode, Paul speaks with Adrian Whelan, SVP of BBH and a brand ambassador for the Protect Accent campaign. Adrian talks about why being involved is important for him and also gives us some insight into his impressive career in the funds industry. Adrian Whelan, thanks a million for joining us. So, Hi Paul, how are you? I'm very good, very good. So you're SVP at BBH, head of Reg Intelligence, also champion of the BBH Young Professional Network, actively involved in Asia Link Network and their Pride Networks, also involved in Diverse In, City Hive, LGBT Grace. Also, and the reason why you're here today is as a brand ambassador for the Protect Accent campaign. So really, really interested in, in your background and your extracurriculars and, and all of that. But before we get into Protect Accent in particular, really just interested in, in your own kind of career story and where you started, where you are now, how you got here and all of that. The role of honour there shows that, yeah, I am quite interested in extracurricular things. Um, my boss might say too interested and you just stick to regulations. But anyway, yeah, my own career story is, is like many people in the funds industry. Uh, I left college DCU. I had a general business degree. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, being honest. Um, so my first ever job was in a company called PFPC, which was mm. a, um, a part of PNC Bank, which is now ultimately Boney Mellon. Oh, yeah. And I worked in the trustee area. That was my first job in the funds industry. And I had no idea what it was. And I think my first day there, which is about 20 years ago, we'll call it, I was handed this kind of book of information. And on the front, it had words that meant nothing to me at the time but it was undertaking of collective investment in transferable securities right a bit of a tongue twister but what everyone here might know as usits and i was told to read that and interestingly usits is a regulation and it's a fund structure that's been very successful and irish funds industry is pretty much built or was built on this piece of legislation which became very important in my life so I read that and I was actually very interested in it because I knew nothing about the funds industry. When I read that and I started getting into it, I found it really interesting and interesting. That was my first job and in a trustee capacity or depository as it's now been rebranded, you kind of have a view of the whole value chain of funds. So I have an inquisitive mind basically. What I started reading a lot, there wasn't as much on the internet or there wasn't as many podcasts back yeah. then, but I started reading about it. And I think it's an important thing that's, that's been a train for the last 20 years of my life is to have an inquisitive mind, to ask questions, to be interested in what you do, to love what you do actually is, is, is important. It sounds a little bit trite at times, but if you love the game, you'll play the game to your best, right? And I found that. So I worked there, worked in JB Morgan and a couple of other places, kind of in this regulatory space. And now that I'm in BBH the last eight years, um, it's more externally focused. So it is a regulatory tilt of what I do now. It's talking about asset management and funds. 
but very much from, we'll call it a PR marketing and sales perspective. So what you're trying to do really is use that inquisitive mind I spoke about to make complex regulations, asset management concept, interesting for readers and for listeners. And that's what I do now. And again, it's very, it's fascinating because again, if you're a younger person listening to this about funds, funds is pretty cool because you get to meet people from, it's a global industry. You get to meet people from all over the world. You get clients pretty much from all over the world. And at times you get to look at things and how they look at things differently all over the world. So long story short, I suppose that's been the, my, my career to date in the fund space and regulation is a good driver of the wider industry and why I find it so interesting. So I've, I've kind of known you on and off over the years, actually, and seen you at Minovate and all those things, but we're both yeah. part of the TBS FinTech advisory boards, and I think you're involved yeah. in the DCU one as well. So why are all of these extracurricular activities so important to you, and how do you find the time to get involved in everything? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, so, so I, I spoke... I spoke, and I'm not great at being brief, but I spoke brief about my career trajectory, right? And where I am now is very much, I suppose, publicly led and a public figure, right? But for many years, I wasn't like that. I talked about the inquisitive mind, but I was very shy. I was very cautious. I hated public speaking, right? So, so and I've spoken about this before. It's, it's, it's weird that I'm in the position. It's weird that I'm here talking to you like this, right? Because it wasn't my background. And I was, I was very much... I don't want to use the word ashamed, but I was very, I wasn't open about my background, right? So I was born in Finglas and how I spoke. And I didn't like a lot about myself in a professional capacity. And then I kind of had a eureka moment where actually you're quite good at this stuff. You see, you know, you should speak up more, Adrian. Like it's gift to yourself. You should talk more. And the more I opened up, the more I was my, again, authentic self. And the more I answered questions in rooms, my own self-confidence actually increased. Mm. And through that, then I got asked to do more panels and more public speaking and stuff like that. And then I still work on it every day, but people said, yeah, you're pretty good at that stuff. So people naturally gravitated to your personal story and some of your expertise in your market, right? So you get asked to do things. And it goes back to if you're passionate about something, and I'm very passionate about inclusion. And now that I have a platform, using that platform to build up and, and highlight, you know, underrepresented topics and people. And um, I think it's, it, there's an onus on you to do that. And that's why, again, they feed each other as well. You're generally talking conceptually about the same thing. Yeah. And a lot of extracurricular diversity, inclusion, charitable initiatives, you can bring the skills of your business into those things. A lot of the time it's enthusiastic amateurs, which rightly so that have a cause and sometimes I can bring the more traditional business skills uh, to those type of forums. And you can bring, if you have a platform and you're not using it correctly, then you should think about that. You should try and do more for your platform other than just commercial things. And that's why I get involved in all things, kinds of everything, I suppose. Okay. In terms of protect accents, so not something I thought about at all, really, in terms of what an accent is and what it does. And, and I think more just from the sense of not something I was aware of or, you know, I've been thinking about. But maybe tell us a little bit about that campaign specifically and why it's important to you. Yeah, so again, it, it's not my campaign, but the lady who, yeah. who set it up, Goody Okachukwu, uh, lives near Bradford in Northern England. And she contacted me through social media, LinkedIn, I think it was, having seen some video or other where I mentioned my own background. And again, in the industry I'm in, funds and in Ireland, 
to be honest, there's not many people that I know of that are from Finglas, where, I, where I'm from, or speak with a heavy, I suppose, Finglas accent, right? And again, it's one thing that held me back for a long time that I just alluded to. So the campaign, when she said to protect accent, it really resonated with me because for many years, I'd put on a kind of, you know, a business accent, your phone voice, whatever you... Your work voice. Terminology, your work voice, exactly. <laughs> and you did that for a reason, right? To be understood, number one. But, but the main reason I did it was to hide my actual voice, right? Or my actual accent. And even when I do this, I notice that I do go in a little bit to my work voice or my, my media voice, right? But there's others that have it a lot worse than me in number of, of jobs. You know, they get they have a, an accent that gets mimicked. They can't get a job. The intersectionality then issue of if you have a strong accent, you may be from a socioeconomic class. You may be from a particular racial community. You may be a migrant worker. So when I started thinking about accent discrimination, I knew that this existed, but there wasn't a campaign to, to champion it. There wasn't enough empirical data. There wasn't enough people with lived experience actually telling people that this is an issue. And I think when things live in the shadows, they're not dealt with. So you need to shine a light on that. And that, in essence, is what the Protect Accent campaign is all about, is, is trying, everybody has a voice, right? So if everybody, or most people, if you have a voice, you have an accent, and that should be okay, regardless of what that accent is. And in essence, highlighting with a view to eradicating accent rate discrimination is what we're all about. In terms of your own accent and your own story, how do you think it held you back? I think it held me back in self-confidence, mm. right? Because I wanted, I had to try to be something else. So I tried yeah. to put on the, the accepted accent. I did a lot of it to myself, but there were times in, in again, in, 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 in either social or work environment where someone might mimic your accent or, and it wouldn't be hugely, they weren't being spiteful about it. Yeah. But again, it's very corrosive to your own self-confidence when that happens. And again, it happens in different facets of bias and it can be microaggression, but it can really eat away at you. And that held me back from actually speaking up, right? And you could be a black employee, you could be an LGBTQ employee and little things like that can have a huge impact. At times, they don't even have to be, as I said, spiteful. Yeah. It can be well-intended banter and very commas, right? But they can have a huge corrosive effect. So people need to be very conscious about that. And then at times, people are spiteful. Let's be honest, okay? And the other thing that accent discrimination can lead to, that we, again, the campaign has spoken about this, if you have a foreign-looking name, like a long, mm -hmm. elongated foreign name that's not Irish, the way you speak, again, on a phone interview, people will just put you into a certain box. So people really do need to become consciously unbiased. They need to think about this. They need to actually get past the accent or the name or the background and actually start weighing and measuring talent mm. and intellect. And too often that doesn't particularly happen. And, and, and let's look at the business outcomes. What happens when you don't get diversity and you'll know about this, but yeah. you end up with the same people saying, yes, yes, yes. You know, the group thing. And I think accent yeah. is an intersectional thing to proper diversity and inclusion. Yeah. It's, it's a funny one. When I think about recruitment over the years, one of the things I was always taught was find a clone of the hiring manager and they'll hire them. And whether that was educational background or whatever, you know, you find something in common and they're likely to talk to that candidate. And to be straight, it works. Like it absolutely works. Yep. And one of the things I saw recently, and it's, it's 
not a new technology, it's been around for a while, is this idea of building an algorithm based off people that you've hired over the years in order to predict who's going to be a successful future hire. Surely you're just creating clones, you know, and I know CBI, Central Bank of Ireland, are obviously very, very strong around uh, building in diversity and not having people there who just say yes all the time. So I suppose this kind of feeds into all of that as well. Yeah, and again, it's funny. That that's why socioeconomic is important because we all know, right, yeah. there's, there's filters put on resume CVs, right? And again, postcode filtering yeah. is, is one thing that's spoken about. And that's very evident going to the right school. You know, you're going to end up in groupthink. You're going to end up in a homogenous culture. And the more that people talk about we're going through shifts, and you mentioned fintech, you need different skill sets. You yeah. can't keep fishing in that same pool because it'll be overfished and you're just going to get a monotone same fish right you need diversity and vibrancy to drive your business and change you need challenge and again i talk about socioeconomic a lot because why would i hire a street kid and i use that term sometimes what advantage do they have well i can tell you some of the advantage they have to overcome things that your general candidate base don't have to overcome they are going to be you know, a little bit psychologically tough because that's the environment you live in. They're going to be actually very loyal. They're going to be straight talkers in the main. They're going to be comfortable talking about money. They're going to be a little bit more comfortable with conflict. All right. Mm. All these things are things that just happen in a lower socioeconomic um, background. Mm. And these are huge advantages if you can harness that energy and those positive attributes. And again, that's why I think, again, the, not going on about protect accent, but the intersectionality with socioeconomics really interesting. And why I would say more employers than they do now need to remove third level degree, preferable or mandatory. Because there, there are a lot of jobs that I don't believe the third level degree is absolutely required. And as we have this war on talent, open up the pool a little bit bring a little bit of diversity in and I'm sure you'll get the benefits of it. Yeah, it's funny. The third level degree is something that you don't see as much of a sticky requirement anymore. You might still see it on job specs, but in actuality, it, it doesn't matter quite as much, which is, is a nice change. And I'm a huge advocate of education. I'm not saying yeah, it's, yeah. Good, and it, it's not a value. What I'm saying, though, is I continuously hear about the war on talent and access yeah. to, to, to talent. Give yourself a chance. Widen up, widen up the pool it's simple as that yeah yeah absolutely and uh i yeah i i agree with you 100 <clears throat> percent. in terms of so we, we obviously we've the recruitment business we, we've a coaching business as well authenticity is really important for people particularly leaders and people in senior roles i think an awful lot of people find that as they kind of move through their career they move away from who they are and have become or are becoming something that someone else or a business wants them to be and that can be the same with accents, I'm sure. But I can see how changing your accents to fit that mould can have an impact on someone. Yeah, and again, so, so, so being your authentic self, again, it's often a trite statement, but it's all you can be because the mental energy and nervousness yeah. of having to be an actor. Yeah. Um, and it, again, I'll be very open and honest, in the industry I'm in, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of theatre, first of all, you know, there's around how people engage. And then you're actors within that. But you have to be some form of yourself or as close yeah. to yourself as you can be. So accent is one thing. The other thing, though, on, on being authentic, and another thing that I've reflected on, you know, if I have been successful, it's being honest. And at times being honest is being vulnerable. So to talk about the challenges you've had 
And I think the most powerful and empowering and impactful leaders are comfortable talking about their failures, talking about their challenges they've had. Absolutely. And there's no way you can be a proper leader and say, you know everything or you've had it, you know, I've never had a, a failure. And that's only really bubbling up again, cross sectors and cross uh, the corporate world now to actually talk about how you overcame is as interesting or more empowering than talking about your success. Yeah, I agree. And if you're, you know, if, if you're prepared to be vulnerable and if you're prepared to put your hand up and say you failed, it gives other people permission to do the same thing which is massively important yeah. before a, yeah. a little mistake becomes a massive issue. There's a webinar coming up for the Protect Saxon campaign that you're involved in. Yeah, there is. So it's on social media and I hope I remember it's, it's August the 27th. Uh, it's in the evening, seven to eight. Uh, yeah. There's an event bright on my own LinkedIn account. So Paul McKeown, who, who's a great advocacy leader in his community, Claire O'Connor, again, they're two inner city uh, community champions. And then Dr. Stephen Lucek, who who's done postdoctoral research on everything I've been talking about, about accents, about uh, linguistics and about socioeconomic impacts. So that'll be worth uh, tuning in for maybe. Yeah, we'll make sure to get the links for that up on, on the blog as part of this podcast as well. Where else can people go to find out more? Yeah, for Protect Accent again, so a lot of social uh, media activity, a hashtag Protect Accent and then the website is www.protect hyphen accent.com and um, so the website has all the information you'd need if you want to get involved Christ we've touched off some of these things a little bit already but if you were sitting there listening to this and you're part of the funds industry you know at a kind of a junior level what advice would you give someone to develop that kind of long-term career in the space it's a really really quickly evolving space at the minute I think Yes, yeah, so number one, I think, and it's interesting as with the fintech. So one thing I would say is that the funds industry is remains very resilient and and thriving, right, and growing. So actually, number one, it's a good industry if you're already in it to be in. It also has multifacets. So again, as you look in recruitment, but there, there, if you if you're not specifically in an area you think you you love, okay, yeah. which is important or like at least you might be able to move into a different area of your existing company um, and find something because again, there's multi branches, like a fund administrator has multiple units within it. And that, that's an interesting one. The other thing is, I think we are technologically led and increasingly so. So a lot of people at the moment want to come out of call. I want to be in business, but I want to be in FinTech, like traditional service providers like BBH. We're usually in the FinTech creative space. So I wouldn't discount that. And I often say traditional providers, without doing advertisement for, for traditional providers, you're likely to get paid every month on time, whereas <laughs> startups, that's not assured. So again, be careful about that. And then more specifically to what I do, because I do get asked this quite a bit, I must be coming an alpha, um, you know, about public speaking and tips or, you know, what should I do? I'd go back to my own personal story. And if anything, if you know the answer, to a question in a meeting, right? Zoom meetings now. Speak up. Don't bite your tongue or be shy. You know, say it. Say the answer. Or if you have an idea or solution, have the moral courage and gift to yourself actually to say it. Because what you'll do is if you don't say it and someone else either gives the answer or gives a different thing and you've said nothing, that'll just detract from your own self-confidence for the next one. And it becomes a self-defeating prophecy. Yeah. So again, if anything, I'd say speak up genuinely. If you know the answer, if you're confident, 
or sorry, you don't have to be confident, but just do it. Just break that cycle of, of not speaking up and you'll be, you'll be hugely empowered. And I'm sure you'll see both your life and your job get better. Adrian Whelan, thanks a million for your time. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for joining us today on Your Pursuit of Happiness, the podcast for people working in the Irish fintech and financial services industry. For show notes and other goodies, go to www.toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. That's toptierrecruitment.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and feel free to rate and review the show. We appreciate your support. See you next time.